This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on hosting as a non-parent during a baby boom, group text dilemmas, tipping at the salon, and an awkward guest bathtub routine. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment from our 1927 edition etiquette. From our 1927 edition of Etiquette on Bridesmaid Attire and Its Costs. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about virtual baby showers. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Because I am starting today with a big old I am so proud of you. You're beaming and I'm accepting all of this. I'm so, oh gosh, I wish you could see the arrogance on his face right now. Just keep it coming. Keep yeah, it coming. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm both, I'm so proud of you. It's so sorry for you. You posted to our new Emily Post Institute Instagram. We have converted the Awesome Etiquette Instagram into the Emily Post Instagram, where you can find all things Emily Post, uh, entertaining lifestyle etiquette and glimpses into Dan's life and my life and today's glimpse. My Dan's first personal first post. Personal post to Instagram ever. Officially May 14th for the record. My so mother's this is birthday. Recorded Happy forever. Birthday, Happy birthday, Trisha. And I wake up this morning, not a total surprise because Pooja had warned me last night that snow was 100% sometime around 1 or 2 in the morning, but it was still falling. So I looked out the window and there were okay, that is flakes magical. of snow coming down. And then you remember it's May. Oh, wait. Yeah. You just shut down so fast. Dan looked so disappointed when I said it's magical. We put out the the hanging flower baskets on Mother's Day. Oh goodness! So they're 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 down the porch and they look beautiful. We really like it. We're like, oh, we need to get more hanging baskets of flowers. They really set off the house. And there's like a a <laughs> dusting of white dead. snow, and they're all wilting and like hanging down now. It's um, it's so sad. Just a little bit. The Adirondack chairs are out on the deck. That was the picture on Instagram. And I said I have to share this. This is what it is. It's beautiful and it's sad. If we didn't have to come in to do the uh, podcast this morning, it would have been, you know, feet up by the fire kind of work day. But I'm buying in. I'm, I'm excited. I like you. this. It's fun. No, it is fun. And it feels 
like I imagine the show feels for people that listen to the show. It's an opportunity to kind of expand the world of Emily Post just a little bit for a different audience. Absolutely. I'm I'm really excited to participate. It's been a lot of fun doing the Higher Etiquette Instagram. We hope that it's going to give you a chance to share with us a lot of your entertaining inspiration, uh, your families, your laughable work scenarios, um, while we are no longer at Awesome Etiquette on Instagram. You can still use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette or Awesome Etiquette Podcast on Instagram In to fact, tag moments. Idea. Um, many of you uh, saw this week, or a few of you, I should say, saw this uh, this week on Twitter when I posted that the gentleman behind me was doing the exact thing our listener had written in about. They had the earbuds not in, the headphones not in, and were listening to a really loud, obnoxious show with commercials. And it was so annoying. And I did did, did not feel comfortable saying anything to this person. I just could not come up with a sample script that made me feel okay. So it was fun sharing that moment with everyone. It'll be really fun doing the same over on Instagram. Because good restraint. And now there's another outlet for you to take those minor frustrations as well as joys. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of the personal, I have one more thing. Oh, yeah? In the spirit of Steve Jobs, whose mm-hmm. one more thing was always the buried lead mm-hmm. in his presentations. He was famous for the big reveal at the D, end. D, D, when you explain it, it totally takes the joy out of it. <laughs> well, let's put the joy back in. I have to let everybody know that Pooja and I are expecting. Yay! And it's coming. It's coming quite soon. Yeah, do you like we waited a while on this one to share the news? I delayed the news and I'm a little bit nervous. I'm nervous about sharing. I'm nervous about it happening. I don't know why. The first time I was so confident, I was so excited. <laughs> I didn't know what I didn't know. This time You're I am older excited. And wiser. I am a little older. I am a little wiser. Thank you for giving me that credit. And I'm a little nervous. I've been nervous about sharing, and I think that's part of some deeper nerves, but I'm also ecstatic and excited, and we are expecting another little girl. We know the due date is early June, so we're very close to full term. In fact, by the time this show airs, we still don't know what the name is going to (laughs) be. Anisha got her name about 24 hours after she was born. You were there in that questioning time. Last time I put out a call to listeners of this show, help me out. (laughs) Give us name suggestions. We actually want name suggestions. We're looking for them. We've got a list. We've got some favorites on the top of the list, but nothing feels solid yet. Well, sometimes you just have to meet that little baby face to face to know, right? I mean, that's what parents tell me. That's worked for us the one time in the past? Yeah. Like it was, you had something you thought was right and then you met her and there was like a little tweak to it. Absolutely. You know, a little something different. And that happens. I can't wait to meet her. I can't wait <laughs> to share the journey and the joy with everyone on this show. That was something that was really fun for me last time. And despite the nerves, I'm looking forward to that <laughs> I again. I know. You're so funny to the nerves, the nerves. We had a potential to share this, like, you know, when you first find out boy or girl. And it was funny. Each week I'd be like, okay, so are we going to share it? And Dan was like, no, no, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Well, I thought we were ready, but no, 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 I'm not ready. I'm not ready yet. You were so, so understanding. I was, really this appreciated was, this it. This was a really fun day when it's finally, oh, yeah, one more thing. And <laughs> it's a pretty big thing. And it was like 
the, the first week where you didn't ask me and you're like, what's the one more thing? <laughs> totally. Totally. A bundle of joy. A bundle of joy. Well, we were very excited to meet her. And um, best of luck to you and Pooja as the, the anticipating Who is the hero parenthood. of this story. <laughs> exactly. It's been really exciting, really fun. Well, having shared one more thing. Yeah. We have some work to do. We do. We really must get to our show. Let's do some questions. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Please find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so we know you want your question on the show. And sustaining members, don't forget to put sustaining member in your message. We'll answer your questions questions on the sustaining member episode. Our first question is appropriately about hosting after a baby boom. <laughs> Hi Lizzie and Dan, I love your podcast and listen almost every week. I especially enjoy how you focus on the importance of making guests always feel comfortable. I love to entertain. When I purchased my townhouse last year, it was top of the list to ensure that I had enough space for friends and family to come over for dinner or a party. I don't know that there has been a week that has gone by that I haven't had someone over for dinner. It makes me so happy to share my home with others. Since I moved in, though, there has been a change in my group of friends. We've had a baby boom. Of my close friends in Chicago, 12 have announced that they are expecting in the last six months, and 10 more have announced who don't live in Chicago. 
I'm single and I don't have kids. I want my friends to continue to be comfortable coming over to dinner and also to feel like they are welcome to bring their children. But I also live in a city townhouse with not loads of space and I'm a little clueless on what is the best and greatest in the baby market. As a host, should I now make sure that I have things like toys or a high chair available for the children that are starting to join us too? Or is that the parents' role to bring with them? Because those are often items that are rather personal to a family, is it presumptuous to purchase? I'm curious on your thoughts. Regards, Annie. Oh my gosh, what a great question. I love you, Annie. Um, yeah. Dan's going, I love you from the perspective of, yes, stock your house with everything. And I'm going, no, don't. <laughs> Absolutely don't. It is on the parents to bring things over. I think you, I'm picturing this one single person with like all these families lined up outside the door to the townhouse. But I do want to say it is tough for families to get out the door with a young baby sometimes. And you might find that you actually end up going over to their houses a lot more because it's easier for them to not have to bring the high chair and the pack and play and the this and the list, all the other things, Dan, the things. that The, the coloring books, the stickers, the crayons. So I think for younger kids, I do think it's a little bit easier. For babies, I think it's a little bit harder for you to have stuff on hand. Having a basket that has some toys... You know, a soft blanket, like, you know, a couple puzzles, like you said, some puzzles, some things to keep a child busy, I think is a wonderful thing to have. But I wouldn't go so far as to start having like a diaper genie and the, you know, high chair and a uh help the the toys that sit on the floor that take up space the oh with the, the arches the, like, the arches the crossed or... arches with the mirrors and the dangly bits that, that make noise and light up. I don't think you and I are so far apart on this. <laughs> I do have my nephew, and I spend a lot of time with him. The thing that I love the most about this approach is that emphasis on making guests feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think that the effort, and it doesn't need to be a huge effort, I think the the proportional smaller efforts, those coloring games, stickers, puzzles, make the guest feel comfortable because they feel considered. Yeah, It makes you feel welcome. And that's the spirit that I'm appreciating in the way this question is asked. And those gestures say to the kid and to the parents that you're welcome here and I've thought about you and I've prepared for you. I think that there are some things you can do that aren't necessarily about things you purchase and keep on hand, aren't supplies. Preparing a little bit of space. I know space is tight mm -hmm. in a city townhouse, but even if it's an area of the living room where the, the table can just be shifted a little bit so there is some floor space. If there is a guest bedroom or a den that can be – identified as a place where kids are welcome to play and be a little louder or have the iPad or phone that sometimes comes with them if parents are okay with screen time that have the favorite apps or games or yeah, but like whatever it is. Yeah, but like a cozy spot, like a designated kid spot. I liked your idea about blankets. Yeah. I thought that just a couple soft things, maybe a little stuffy. Yeah. Again, just create a space that feels welcoming. Like you, though, I don't think you need to spend a lot of money on this. Yeah, no. It is true that kids have their favorite type of high chair, the stroller that they know and love, whatever it is, oftentimes if it's a really necessary piece of equipment, the parents will know what it is and will have a travel version of it. I also want to channel my cousin Lizzie and say it's okay to have no kids parties also. 
Yeah. It's okay to keep that happening even after a baby boom. And the baby booms do happen. This gets loose in circles of friends at certain ages. And this is quite the baby boom, though. This is a big one. This is over 20, like, of her closest friends, like, near and far, who all are having kids. Be prepared. That is going to change your relationship with these folks for a few years. Like, be, be prepared to be flexible. Be prepared for people to... Sometimes they treat you a little differently, and it's not like anything anyone's meaning to do. It's just the focus has shifted, and that takes a lot for parents to adjust to sometimes. like It's a reality. And a huge reality. The kind of preparation that Annie's thinking about will help encourage people to know they are welcome. Yes. The other thing that just occurred to me as you were talking is be prepared to shift your timing. Yes. Events that happen a little earlier in the evening, events that are a little shorter, are oftentimes easier for parents to say yes to if they are going to bring their kids. You just kind of have to get flexible and and realize that's what happens when there are a lot of new babies in your life. Annie, I love this question. There is so much etiquette in it. And I see a really good host in you, and I'm sure this is going to go well. The problem of recreation in America must be solved, not by any single group alone, but through the active participation of every citizen in the land. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Our next question is titled Group Text Drama. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I found your amazing podcast a few months ago on the recommendation of another podcast and have been thoroughly enjoying it since. I now recount the questions you received to my friends and tell them to subscribe to hear more of your excellent advice and thoughts. Thank you so much. Here's something that happened to me recently that I would love your input on. An out-of-town friend was going to be in town for a few days and sent a group text to several people suggesting a place and time to get together. I did not know anyone else in the group text and unfortunately was going to be out of town myself during the get-together. I immediately texted saying how sorry I was to be missing out and that I would hope to catch my friend the next time she was in town. But very quickly my phone filled with text messages from other people on the group text as they negotiated the gathering. Could it be at noon instead of one? Could we do this park instead of that one? I told myself to wait it out and that everyone would reach an agreement soon and the texts would stop. But a day later, they were still going. So finally, I texted the group saying I was sorry to miss the get-together and would they mind removing me from the group text? So here's my question. Was I rude? I tried to be as friendly as possible, but I still felt like I was being a bit of a diva. This also leads me to another more general etiquette question. When someone on a group text says they can't make a particular plan, do you think the other texters should then remove that person from future planning discussions? Thanks so much for your thoughts. Thank you for your question. We get so many questions about the etiquette of group texts. This is definitely something that people think about. I need to ask my cousin Lizzie for some technical help here. Yes, sir. Let me jump in. Can you remove yourself? Do you have to ask the person that initiated to do it? 
I have been dealing with this very thing recently.、Um, oh, really? I have one friend who sends out a lot of big group texts, letting people know an event that he's attending or something cool that's going on in town. And I always like getting those because I like the heads up, especially since I don't really participate on Facebook、um, for that reason. And so. It's really nice to to get those, but then I hate the jokes that follow, because it's just a lot of nonsense from people who I don't even recognize their phone numbers. So I know who's I don't know context at all for half of the stuff. I mean, I can get the joke, but like <laughs> I don't know who it is that's saying it. Sometimes those things are fun to join in, and you get to know people, and it has a really fun group feel to it. But、um, when I look down at my phone and it says forty seven messages, it, it does feel overwhelming. Overwhelming.、Um, I try to take that moment to say, okay,、um, it, I don't actually have to look at all forty-seven of those messages. I do try to hide the alerts,、um, but you do kind of have to go through. And I just, I start, I just delete that message every time it shows up,、mm -hmm. um, and that's my method for handling it. I don't love saying, "Can you please start a group message?" when it's a really big group. Mm -hmm. When it's a smaller group and they decide to carry on, like there's a there's a Game of Thrones group that、um, invites me every week to go watch Game of Thrones with them. And the first week I went and had a great time. Since I haven't really been able to go, I love being invited each week because if I can go, I like these people. It's nice to go. But I don't love then getting like all the banter back and forth, even though what they're trying to do is be inclusive.、Mm -hmm. And it's really hard, just like our listener is saying. Was I rude to just stand up and say, "Can you like not include me in this conversation, please?" It's basically like saying, "Hey, I find you annoying," or "This really isn't for me." I think we need to not take that attitude. One of the things I'm really trying to be a proponent of right now is to not always find the negative personal attack in something. You know that if someone wants to leave a group text, why can't we all think, "Oh my gosh, of course that must be so annoying. Let's take you off." Rather than, "Ugh, how rude!" Like our listeners should not feel rude for asking this. I think I was thinking. I want to get not, us to that place. I can also see how thinking about the specifics of the group and its purpose would matter here. I'm imagining that if there's a a group weekend that's being planned, and this planning is going to go on, but it's one event, event specific. You know the people pretty well. Asking to be taken off that group text would make sense to me. Yeah, I can also hear your example of a much larger group text that's about weekly announcements.、Mm -hmm. That being a harder thing to ask. Say, well, I want to get the first one, but none of the ones after that. Whoever's managing that group. Manage it better, <laughs> and might not really be interested in that level of management of the group. I think that you might talk to the leader, the person who initiates. Maybe not to everybody in the group. You can make the request, but if you want to keep being included and keep finding out that first thing, it might be harder to convince them or to ask them or to get them to buy into taking you off everything that follows each time. Totally. One of the things that really gets me, though. Is when people start using the group text message for conversations not pertaining to what the group is about. So, for instance, when rather than in a like dinner, like themed dinner party specific group text, like you're saying about an event, and you get an update about someone's personal weekend. And like, or a drama in their life at work, and like, you're like, hey, wait a minute, you might be closer to the other people in this group, but you're not close to like these four people in this group text. So why are you like using this group text to now like 
promote and chat about your personal life. Like, no, that's one where you really need to remember who you don't know on those text messages before you start sending things out. So you're doing the thing that I was hoping to do with this question. Oh, okay. What's that? Which is look at both sides of the equation. Okay. Because I think there's behavior and etiquette for I'm receiving these. Yes. And is it okay to ask to be removed? And I think that that really is an it depends answer. I think there are times where you go for it and times where you take that other approach you were mentioning of I'm going to manage my phone. I'm going to shut off alerts and I'm going to absorb the cost of just deleting these texts. I'm not going to feel obligated to read them. The flip side, I think there's some really good lessons we can take away for how we participate. Oftentimes in etiquette, that's the bigger picture lesson that rude behavior gives us clues or indications about ways we should conduct ourselves and not oversharing personal information or information that's not related to the purpose of a group that is a group text group, I think is one great etiquette tip. I think another is if the conversation really is going down a road that doesn't involve someone, you might think about removing them. And that's a double-edged sword. I could see someone out there saying I felt excluded when I stopped well, getting no, the text for this you ask event. First, like you would say, hey Becky, okay if we cut you off this text like message, I'm sure you don't need to hear the rest of the conversation now. Like I know you and I think this isn't your thing. If it is, I'll leave you on. But you know, like can't you just shout out a message? Real Maybe quick? that's a one to one message yeah, so they don't exactly. have to reply to the whole group, but you could pull them on the next one that you send and now there's a smaller group that that text is bouncing around between. Final thought on this. If the person who initiates the group text says, please do not reply to this group text. It is large. Reply to me individually. Do so. It is one of those times where following instructions is very important. I would love to hear our audience thought on this. This is one that is uh, a still fluid and moving emerging etiquette. And I want to know how everybody is handling it. However, to get the best out of their service, the families that share a party line need to be considerate of each other. Just as when they share a driveway, to get the best use out of party line service, this means, first, avoiding lengthy conversations. Long conversations keep others from using the line. Do you want more Dan Post sending in your life? Are you always bummed when our show isn't all business questions all the time? Would you like to attend one of Dan's signature business etiquette seminars from the comfort of your home on your schedule? Now you can. We partnered with CreativeLive.com to deliver almost eight hours of our Emily Post Business Etiquette Seminar Series online. It's super easy to get started, and you can take the program at your leisure. But we know you'll devour it in only one sitting. Just go to emilypost.com slash online seminar and start learning from Dan in minutes. And now back to our show. Our next question is titled Tipping at the Salon. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. First, I love the podcast and have learned a lot from you. My question is about tipping at a hair salon. I've been going to the same stylist for longer than I care to admit and have been using what might be an old-fashioned tipping policy. He has been the owner of the salon, so I haven't been tipping on a per-appointment basis. However, I do get him a gift card every Christmas, and the amount is the same as I would have spent over the year if I tipped him each time. This has seemed to work well. My stylist recently sold his salon. He'll still be working there, but no longer as the owner. I'm wondering if I should start tipping him regularly instead of waiting until Christmas. If I do that, should I also give him something extra at the holiday time? 
or should I just continue doing things as I always have? Any advice would be gratefully accepted. Best to you both, Mary Beth. Mary Beth, first of all, I think you're doing an awesome job. Second of all, I'm laughing because my cousin (laughs) made a joke in the show notes saying, gratuity, we don't talk about this a lot on the show. We talk about gratuity all the time. (laughs) It was so funny. It Um, is a huge etiquette question. It's a huge etiquette question. But Mary Beth, you're doing exactly the correct thing. And I like your follow-up idea and thinking. I think now that he's no longer the owner of the salon, I would start tipping him regularly. And then I would do some kind of a smaller gift at the holidays. Um, Maybe a homemade item. Maybe just a sweet card. Maybe um, a small gift you feel comfortable spending the money on. I think that you're you're in the right zone 100%. This is kind of one of those fun etiquette questions where you get to say, yes, listener, you're right. <laughs> and there's no math for this. There's no etiquette math that says, oh, now that I'm tipping regularly for service, I reduce my annual tip by this amount. If you're feeling that spirit of generosity and you want to continue to do an annual tip like you have before, there's nothing wrong with that either. But if the way you budget your tipping, if, if it feels different to you, this isn't something like table service at a restaurant where there's a standard percentage that you can lean on. It really is about your feelings, your relationship, what you think would be appreciated and what feels appropriate. Thanks for the question. This is a slightly different tipping angle for us. The number nine hairdo figures. And for the gal who's apt to claw a hair stylist, leopard skins hold her down while he completes the transformation to leopard woman. Is this the spot to say it's mighty purdy? This question is titled, Awkward Guest Bathtub Routine. I am just dying to know what Bridget selected for us today. Good afternoon. I have a friend that comes to visit from time to time. I have a spare bedroom, which she occupies for the time of her stay, and I have a guest bathroom with a toilet, basin, and shower. My bathroom is an ensuite, and it has a bathtub, basin, and toilet. Now, every time this specific friend visits, she wants to bathe in my tub. This is very inconvenient for me, and that is apart from the fact that I think it is very unhygienic sharing a bath with someone else. How do I tell her in a not-too-harsh way that she is making it very uncomfortable for me in my own home by requesting every time to bathe in my tub? I thank you for your time and hope to receive feedback from you soon. Kind regards, Alta K. This is a little bit of a tricky question because there's been some history here that you're going to be changing. And I want to give you permission as a host to make the change. I think that is the 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 bottom line of the situation. It's okay as a host to set the boundaries and parameters in your home. I think it's okay to say no. I would say it as early as possible. If it comes up as something that's been discussed, I would address it pretty much instantly. If it doesn't come up, I would mention it as an early part of the visit when you're doing that, hi, welcome, let me get you settled sort of what, greeting what, and introduction to the say? house. I'm dying to hear what your, what your sample script might be. I was thinking about it. And okay. one of my thoughts was to emphasize and keep the emphasis on the positive because I I don't think you want to talk about how uncomfortable it's made you in the past or that it's a rude request for someone to be making as a guest. I I think you want to quite specifically avoid giving someone that 
feeling or impression. And I think you can do that by focusing on the positive. Set up her bathroom and put a little bit of extra effort into it. Fresh towels, new soaps, even scents. For me, something that makes me very comfortable in a new bathroom is heat. I love a little space heater or the ability to turn up the heat a little bit. Mm -hmm. It makes that whole space more inviting for me. I also think you need to be clear and say I'd really prefer that you use this bathroom for the stay. My bathroom's just not set up for a bath right now. And that could be – or for a guest bath right now if you want to hold yourself really accountable to that standard of honesty and it's totally like set up for better. you to be having yeah. a bath. And that's it. You've now set the boundary. You don't dwell in that uncomfortable place. You move on. You've made the effort to set – your guest up well in their space. You've drawn a line about your space and that should be enough for someone to not persist with the request. I think so too. I will say, however, that just straight up on opinion, I'm not sure that the the unhygienic thing flies for me because you can always wash your bathtub. We clean our bathtubs between our family members. You know, it's definitely not a reason I would communicate to my guests. That would make your guest feel like there's some like you look at them as unclean somehow when typically baths are about getting clean. <laughs> Alta we hope this makes you feel more comfortable in your own home. Being clean makes you feel good. A warm bath just before bedtime helps you relax into the good, sound sleep your body needs after a day of school and play. Make it a rule. After a bath, clean underwear and clean stockings always. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates and comments or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter, where we're at emilypostinst, or on Facebook, where we're Awesome Etiquette, or on Instagram, where we're Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your post so that we know you want your question on the show. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have one from Katie on poetry. Dear Lizzie and Dan, first I want to tell you how much I have enjoyed and learned from your podcast. I've been listening to it for about two years. Thank you for your great comments and information. I wanted to let you know that Robert Frost wrote Good Fences Make Good Neighbors in his well-loved poem Mending Wall. Here's a cut and paste of the poem, and we will share the link to that on all of our social media accounts. This was in response to my misquoting Robert Frost and calling him Mark Twain in a previous episode where we were talking about neighbors and sharing costs on fences. Katie continues, Frost is the quintessential Vermonter, though he was born in San Francisco. You might also like two tramps in mud time, since you often refer to the mud season in Vermont. (laughs) But it's about oh so much more than Vermont mud. And I hope you can sometimes visit Robert Frost's cabin right near Middlebury, where you can see the farm that fired his imagination for his poetry as well as his cabin. There are nearby trails to walk, too. Maybe this summer for a day trip, good for picnics. Enjoy, and thanks again for a great podcast. Best, Katie Kubeta. Katie, I love that Robert Frost cabin on the Breadloaf campus up near Middlebury College. It is truly a beautiful place. Very cool. 
I'm feeling a little sheepish as a Vermonter, missing the obvious Robert Frost quote, but it did provide a great opportunity to revisit some poetry that is truly special and spectacular. Thank you for reminding us here at Awesome Etiquette. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going back to the book Etiquette, but not the 19th edition. We're going back to 1922. In the Wayback Machine, we are going to visit Emily's wonderful book in two sections. One is on page, starts on page 327, and it's What the Bridesmaids Wear. And then we have a follow-up that I thought would be really interesting on page 330 called The Cost of Being a Bridesmaid, because I know many of you are feeling that right now. The season is about you to know, begin. You're being, wardrobes are being dictated and um, wallets are being purged. <laughs> what the bridesmaids wear. The costumes of the bridesmaids, slippers, stockings, dresses, bouquets, gloves, and hats are all selected by the bride, without considering or even consulting them as to their taste or preference. Woo-hoo-hoo! The bridesmaids are always dressed exactly alike as to texture of materials and model of making, but sometimes their dresses differ in color. For instance, two of them may wear pale blue satin slips covered with blue chiffon and cream lace fichu, and cream-colored picture hats trimmed with orchids. The next two wear orchid dresses, cream fichu, and cream hats trimmed with pale blue hydrangeas. The maid of honor likewise wears the same model, but her dress is pink chiffon over pink satin, and her cream hat is trimmed with both orchids and hydrangeas. The bouquets would all be alike of orchids and hydrangeas. Their gloves all alike of cream-colored suede, and their slippers blue, orchid, and pink, or to match stockings of creamish beige. Usually the bridesmaids are all alike in color as well as outline, and the maid of honor exactly the same but in reverse colors. Supposing the bridesmaids to wear pink dresses with blue sashes and pink hats trimmed in blue and to have bouquets of larkspur, the maid of honor wears the same dress in blue with pink sash, blue hat trimmed with pink, and carries pink roses. At Lucy Gilding's wedding, her bridesmaids were dressed in deep shades of burnt orange and yellow, wood-colored slippers and stockings, skirts that shaded from brown through orange to yellow, yellow leghorn hats trimmed with jonquils, and jonquil bouquets. The maid of honor wore yellow running into cream, and her hat, though of the same shape of leghorn, was trimmed with cream feathers, and she carried a huge cream feathered fan. As in the case of the wedding dress, it is foolish to enter into descriptions of color more than to indicate that they are of light and fragile materials, more suitable to evening than to daylight. Flower girls and pages are dressed in quaint old-fashioned dresses and suits of white silk or satin of whatever period the bride fancies, and being especially picturesque. Or perhaps they are dressed in their ordinary white clothes with wreaths and bouquets for the girls and white favors or gloves for the boys. 
If a bridesmaid is in mourning, she wears colors on that one day, as bridesmaids' dresses are looked upon as uniforms, not individual costumes. Nor does she put a black band on her arm. A young girl in deepest mourning should not be a bridesmaid, unless at the very private wedding of a bride or groom, also in mourning. In this case, she would most likely be the only attendant and wear all white. Fascinating. It's not a it's all, expression of individuality. It's a uniform. It, this I, is up to the bride, the organizer of the wedding. You don't get a say, bridesmaids. I mean, goodness. I didn't follow half of that. That was like, I mean, just, you know, foreign language to me. <laughs> There's some new vocab in there for me, too. Oh, my goodness. I am so glad attire is so much different nowadays. <laughs> So we continue with the cost of being a bridesmaid. This is a much shorter section. With the exception of parasols or muffs or fans, which are occasionally carried in place of bouquets and presented by the bride, every article worn by the bridesmaids, flower girls, or pages, although chosen by the bride, must be paid for by the wearers. Wow. It is perhaps an irrefutable condemnation of the modern wedding display that many a young girl has had to refuse the joy of being in the wedding party because a complete bridesmaid outfit costs a sum that parents of moderate means are quite unable to meet for popular daughters. And it is seldom that the bride herself is in a position to give six or eight complete costumes, much as she may want all her most particular friends with her on her day of days. Very often a bride tries to choose clothes that will not be expensive, but the smartness which is to make the wedding a perfect picture commands its price. Even though one particular girl may be able to dress herself very smartly in clothes for her own design and making, those clothes duplicated eight times seldom turn out well. Why this is so is a mystery. When a girl looks smart in homemade clothes, the merit is in her, not in the clothes. In a group of six or eight, five or seven dresses will show a lack of finish, and the tender-hearted bride who, for the sake of their purpose, sends her bridesmaids to an average little woman to have their clothes made, and then to a little hat place around the corner, is liable to have a rather dowdy little flock fluttering down the aisle in front of her. Yows. Yows, right? This is one of those places where Emily Post is dancing between a number of things, right? She's telling us that, listen, this is the bride's day, so the bride gets to choose. If you can't afford to be in the wedding, then you need to speak up and let someone know that. And that's very common. I I kind of like the way she said this happens all the time. I, In fact, I wish that came out more to people in our day and age because instead the credit cards come out and then we go into debt over wedding Weddings that we aren't even the bride or groom in seems terribly unfair. So I like the fact that she's really giving a lot of permission to say, no, don't participate in this if you can't afford it. It comes off very opinionated and a bit harsh. But when she's saying, and don't go the route of trying to makeshift this unless you can really do it to perfect detail. She's not saying that, you know, like, oh, little people are bad. She's saying there's a difference in quality. And if you can't afford a quality that's going to make make this look nice for the bride, then don't try to do it. Instead, it's more polite to back out and say, I can't partake in the, participate in this, but I'd love to support you another way. And as a bride, be thinking about cost. Like that, that She right. begins her talk saying, you know, you, you, you want to be aware. And at the same time, you don't want to 
get below a line where you say we're all just going to make our own if you can't really count on everybody to execute that well and it's not going to look good. Emily is trying to balance a lot here in her day in the same way that people are trying to balance it now. Absolutely. I love dipping back into these original books of etiquette and seeing what the actual advice was and how Emily chose to present it. Me too, because there were definitely a few takeaway nuggets in there. Why, yes, I think you've made a good start towards getting ready for marriage. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have Jane in Philadelphia. Dear Dan and Lizzie, happy almost spring. Hope the sun's shining on you up north. I just came in from some epic yard work. Eight bags of leaves all by myself. Triple exclamation points. I love raking. Pooja calls it my zen space. Oh, you can come be zen at my house. My salute. I like how you just (laughs) ignore that. Please, let's. I wish I got to spend more time in my zen space. Please, let's hear the salute. Uh (laughs) Sorry. Let's continue. My salute is for my neighbors and me. My neighbors to the right always offered to weed whack my part of the yard in summer, being very careful of my plants and leaving things a little bit weedy the way I like. So today I offered to bag up their few tidy piles of leaves. It felt good to return their awesomeness with more awesomeness. Realizing that my neighbor to the left had shoveled my walk every snowfall this winter, I asked him if I could traipse around his leafy yard next time I was feeling motivated. He said he didn't want me to feel obligated, but I said, oh, it's fun, I get in a rhythm. Then a fourth neighbor, the lady who cares for my trash bins, joined in the awesomeness. I had put the leaf bags in the wrong spot, so she super kindly shifted them over for me, and now I know the right spot. And then the weed-whacking neighbors gave me a nice hot piece of pizza with fresh basil on it, which I ate while typing this. (laughs) I love the way we all tend our spaces while respecting each other's boundaries and styles. I love my neighbors very much. Thanks for giving me a place to put all of this love Leafily yours, Jane in Philadelphia. Jane in Philadelphia, I love this salute. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. And thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, and coworkers on social media, which now includes Instagram. Woohoo! You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And on Instagram, we're Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. They do help our show's ranking. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and it was produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.